beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, have you ever despaired about life circumstances? Are you at times overwhelmed by the struggles facing you? There are some who don't enjoy their daily work, but who don't have a lot of alternatives and need to tough it out day after day, week after week. Financial hardships can cause us a lot of stress. And at times, the pressure is unrelenting. Sometimes we struggle with chronic illness or with pain that never goes away. Some struggle with depression or anxiety or other mental health struggles. Some of us have been crushed by the loss of a loved one. Some deal with struggles in their relationships which carry on and never seem to get better. Some among us long for someone to share their life with. Others earnestly desire to receive children from God's hand. But at times, our lives go on without any change. Often we'll pray about such things. We'll ask God for help. We'll earnestly plead with him to look upon us with favor, to grant the desires of our hearts. It is good when we lay our cares and needs before the throne of grace. God commands us to ask him for the things we need. He teaches us to expect all good things from his fatherly hand. But sometimes it seems like all our praying has little effect. Our life circumstances don't change. We continue to face the same struggles. And then we can get very discouraged. It doesn't seem like the Lord hears. We don't see any fruit on our prayers. We can be overcome by a sense of hopelessness. That was the situation of God's people Israel in the days of our text. The Lord had made many promises of restoration and renewal to his people. After the exile, God had reestablished them in their own land and he had allowed them to rebuild the temple again. But God's people were not free. They were under Roman rule. They're expecting the Lord to fulfill his promise of sending them the Messiah. They had prayed their heart out, but nothing happened. They had waited for a sign of God coming to change their circumstances. But God remained silent. Many of God's people were weighed down. They were burned out by fatigue and exhaustion. It's in this situation that the events of our text occur. God begins to manifest himself and his grace to his people. The Lord begins his work in the lives of a humble priest and his wife, Zechariah and Elizabeth. The angel Gabriel appears to Zechariah while he's ministering in the holy place in the temple. He reveals that their prayers have been answered that God was going to grant them a son. He would be great before the Lord, filled with the Holy Spirit 
even from his mother's womb. God would use him to prepare his people for the coming Messiah. And so we see how God intervenes in the lives of his despairing people. By answering their prayers, he gives them renewed hope. Today we begin a short series on the ministry of John the Baptist. I preach you God's word under the following theme. The Lord remembers his people by miraculously granting John as a forerunner for the coming Messiah. We'll consider Israel's barrenness, God's faithfulness, and our hope. Luke sets the stage for our text by announcing the time and circumstances in which it took place. He was a historian who interviewed many of the eyewitnesses about the events that he records in his gospel. In the first verse of his gospel, Luke tells us that he wrote an orderly account in order that we may be certain of the things we've been taught. Our text begins with a mention of the events described in it. It says they occurred in the days of Herod, king of Judea. That is a very provocative statement. It is true, but it caused God's people Israel great consternation. Once God had promised to David that a son of his would sit on the throne and would rule over God's people. But Israel had not experienced that for a long, long time. Since the exile, they had not, since the exile, they had not had rulers over their own land. First, they were under the, under the Medes and the Persians. Later, they're under the Greeks. Currently, they are under the dominion of the Romans. Herod, an Edomite, was king of Judea, ruling on behalf of Caesar. In our text, there are several key figures. It's beneficial for us to introduce them. Our text mentions Zechariah, who was a priest. If you look through the Bible, there are more than 20 different people mentioned who share this name. Zechariah means the Lord has remembered. Zechariah was married to a woman who was also from the priestly family, a descendant of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. Her name literally means God is an oath which was a statement declaring the Lord to be the absolutely reliable one. Despite their beautiful names, Zechariah and Elizabeth did not experience the fullness of God's blessings in their lives. It not, did not seem to them that the Lord had remembered them. His faithfulness to his people was not evident in their lives. Our text identifies the major disappointment that they had faced in their lives, it says, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. You can imagine the dark shadow that this cast on their lives. There is a lifetime of hurt behind those words. Elizabeth had always longed to hold a child, her own child, in her arms. 
But despite their many prayers, nothing had happened. The months passed, and each month she faced another disappointment. The years went by, and while others around them had children, they never did. And now it was too late. Elizabeth was far past the age of having children. Her womb was old and barren. Anyone who has ever desired to receive children would understand some of Elizabeth's sorrow. The prying questions, the insensitive remarks, the pang of desire when hearing someone else was expecting. At times, Zechariah and Elizabeth must have doubted the goodness of God. We need to understand that in Hebrew culture, this couple faced something even worse than childless couples do today. In Israel, childlessness caused great distress because it meant that your family line would no longer continue. Being childless meant that none of your descendants would live to see the day of the coming Christ. That was considered a great tragedy. The struggles of childlessness can be clearly seen in a few examples from the Old Covenant. Think of how Hagar despised her mistress Sarah when she conceived a child while her mistress did not. Think of what Rachel said to Jacob in Genesis 30. Give me children or I die. Consider the struggles that Hannah, the mother of Samuel, faced during the years when she was barren. Her heart was sad. She was deeply distressed. She prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. Verse 25 of our text notes that in like manner, Elizabeth's barrenness caused her shame and disgrace. God's people regarded childlessness as a sign of God's displeasure and therefore as a rebuke. In Deuteronomy 28, it is listed as a curse from God that would come on his people if they refused to obey his voice and keep his commands. Psalm 127 says that children are a heritage from the Lord, a blessing from his hand. How is it then that Zechariah and Elizabeth have no children? Was there some hidden sin in their lives? Was there something lacking in their faith? Were they being punished by God? These are the sorts of questions their friends and neighbors would be thinking, perhaps even asking. The underlying thought was that this was somehow their own fault. Perhaps you've encountered those kinds of questions and judgments in your life, beloved. That others looked at you and blamed you for something in your life which you didn't have any control over. Perhaps you sometimes have those kind of thoughts about your own life. That God must be displeased with me because he's not blessing me as I thought he would. We need to be very careful in making those kind of judgments. Our text is very clear about the character of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Luke says that they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. No, they were not perfect people, but they loved God and they served him 
in their daily lives. In our text, we see how the Lord begins to work in the lives of this faithful couple. Our text makes it clear that the time had come for Zechariah's division to minister before the Lord. Each division of the priesthood served the Lord in the temple for two weeks each year. Our text notes that Zechariah was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. We know from Proverbs 16.33 that the lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. And so it was the Lord who chose Zechariah to fulfill this task of burning incense in the temple this day. It was a unique privilege to be chosen to burn incense before the Lord. Only once in his lifetime was a priest allowed to receive this honor. Most priests never had this honor. So Zechariah was allowed to partake in a once-in-a-lifetime experience. The altar of incense was located in the holy place. It was in front of the veil leading to the Holy of Holies. Every morning and evening, the priests were to offer incense before the Lord. Burning coals from the altar of burnt offering were put on the incense altar. And the priests would pour incense on the coals, causing a cloud to rise up, its fragrance spreading before the Lord. The offer of incense is closely associated with prayer. In Psalm 141, David says, Give ear to my voice when I call to you. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you. In Revelation 5, John sees the four living creatures and the 24 elders falling down to worship the Lamb. John says that they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. In our text, Luke says that the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. This was was something that happened twice a day, day after day and year after year. The people outside and the priest in the holy place would offer up prayers to God. And incense was poured on the altar to symbolize how their prayers went up as a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. But nothing much seemed to change. Their lives continued as per normal. For over 400 years, there had been no clear response from God. He had not sent any more prophets after Malachi. Despite all their prayers, they were still under Roman rule. Despite all their pleading, the Messiah still had not come. In our text, Elizabeth's inability to have children symbolizes Israel's barrenness. We can experience that in our lives too, beloved. Every day we offer our prayers to God. There are certain things that come back in our prayers again and again. Prayers for healing. Prayers for receiving children. Prayers for the repentance of a loved one. But at times it seems as if heaven's doors are closed. Nothing changes. 
Our lives carry on in much the same way as they did before. We can become disappointed with God. We begin to doubt his goodness and faithfulness. We feel like God is not hearing and answering us. We ask, does God see me? Does he remember his promises? We undergo times of intense spiritual struggle like Zechariah and Elizabeth. Our hearts can be filled with hopelessness and despair. This brings us to our second point, and we'll consider God's faithfulness. It was when Zechariah was standing in front of the altar of incense, and the people were outside praying that the Lord answered their prayers. Our text says that an angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah. Zechariah was troubled, and fear fell upon him. It's always the response of people when an angel of the Lord appears to them. Angels come from the presence of the Lord. And just as Moses' face shone when he came from speaking with God, so angels also reflect the majesty and the glory of God when they appear to man. Yet the angel says, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Please note those words. Your prayer has been heard. The Lord our God is a God who hears prayer. Even though we sometimes think that God is not listening. Even though we may become discouraged and lose heart. Even when we may stop praying for something because we've come to accept it's not going to happen anyway. The Lord is a God who loves us dearly. He hears when we call upon him. It pleases him to give good gifts to his children. Never doubt that the Lord hears prayers. When people look at our text, they often interpret your prayer as being heard as being a fulfillment of all the prayers Zechariah and Elizabeth had offered for a child. But this explanation has some problems. Do you really think Zechariah was standing in front of the incense altar praying for a child? We can be sure that was not the case. For he and Elizabeth were advanced in years. They were way too old to have kids. Zechariah himself brings up this objection when the angel says that Elizabeth will bear him a son. We need to remember that as priest, Zechariah appeared before the Lord as representative of his people. There was a whole multitude of Israelites standing outside the temple praying. What were God's people praying for? But well, we know that they were deeply bothered by the fact that a foreign king ruled over them. The time Luke writes about was a time of great expectation among God's people. We know that in those days there was an intense longing for the coming of the Messiah. So what does the angel mean when he tells Zechariah, your prayer has been heard? Zechariah and Elizabeth's prayers for a son? 
Or Zechariah and the people's prayers for God's blessing on them and for peace in their land? Well, we cannot and should not try to separate these prayers, beloved. All these prayers have been heard by the Lord God. And now he was ready to act. He would provide Zechariah and Elizabeth with a son, whom they were to name John. John means the Lord is gracious. In him, the Lord would reveal his grace to Israel. The angel makes this clear in our text. He tells Zechariah, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. John was no ordinary child. His birth would bring great joy, not just to his parents, but to many others. He would be great before the Lord. During his ministry, John the Baptist was asked if he was the Christ. He responded by saying that he was not, but that someone mightier than him was coming, the strap of whose sandal he was not worthy to untie. Yet Jesus later testified about John, saying, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. The angel explains what it is that would make John great. From birth, he was set apart as a Nazarite. As a sign of his holiness, he was not allowed to drink wine or strong drink. John would be an unusual person, called to an unusual ministry. Even from his mother's womb, he'd be filled with the Holy Spirit. The angel also describes what John's mission would be. He said, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Zechariah recognized those words as coming from the prophet Malachi. When Malachi spoke about the coming of the Messiah, he said that the Lord would send a forerunner before him. In Malachi 4, verses 5 and 6, he said, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Thus the angel makes clear that there was a reason why God had withheld children from Zechariah and Elizabeth. It was not because there was some hidden sin in their life, or because they lacked faith, or because they were somehow under God's curse. God had something wonderful in store for his people. In his great mercy, he was setting the stage for the coming of Messiah. God wanted him to come with great fanfare. Thus, Christ's herald needed to be Someone special. John the Baptist was the forerunner, the herald sent ahead to announce the coming of the Christ. The Lord had prophesied that before the Messiah came, his messenger would prepare the way. John the Baptist was the man who got the people ready for Jesus. Something similar happens 
Whenever any great person makes a public appearance, when the prime minister comes to make a speech, someone says, ladies and gentlemen, the prime minister of Canada. When a star athlete appears, the announcer introduces him in the starting lineup. When a celebrity receives an award, another celebrity makes the presentation That is why the Lord performs signs and wonders in the land in the lead-up to the coming of the Messiah. John the Baptist is born to an elderly couple far past childbearing age. An angel appears to shepherds caring for their flocks at night with Jesus' birth announcement. A wise man come from the east following a star that appeared in the sky leading them to Bethlehem. The Lord is going to do something great for his people. He was going to send them the Messiah. God acts in wondrous ways to signal to his people something special was happening. It brings us to our final point, our hope. Despite God's promises, Zechariah doubts. He said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. We can understand his struggle. All these years, Zechariah and Elizabeth had prayed to receive a child from God. Finally, they'd come to terms with the fact that they were old and that it wasn't going to happen. And now, at the high point of his ministry, on the one occasion where he was allowed to offer incense in the holy place, Suddenly he's told, God has heard his prayers, and Elizabeth will give birth to a son. And he's told that his son would be great and play a special role in preparing the way for the people to receive the long-awaited Messiah. It's no wonder Zechariah is overwhelmed. The angel confirms his message. He says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. He tells Zechariah he would be silent and unable to speak until the days when these things take place, because Zechariah did not believe his words. The fact that Zechariah became mute was a further sign from God. It was a sign not just for Zechariah himself, but also for the people. First, they wondered why he was delayed in coming out of the temple. When he couldn't speak, he made signs to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. Thus, the Lord confirmed the message that after many years, he would act for his people. What a comforting and encouraging message our text brings us. There are times in life when we're deeply challenged by hardships and sorrows. There's times when we come before the Lord in earnest prayer, seeking his help and his blessing. Yet it appears as though God isn't listening. Nothing much changes We continue to face the same sorrows and struggles. When the struggles go on month after month and year after year, we may despair. 
Our hearts can be filled with hopelessness. We think life will never change. And yet, beloved, God sees our tears. He hears our cries. He knows our suffering, and his heart is moved within him. And in his time and in his way, God acts. Our text tells us about how when he finished his priestly duties in Jerusalem, Zechariah returned home. It says, after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. What a miracle. Elizabeth had been barren. Both her and Zechariah were advanced in years. And yet God had seen their misery and sorrow. He had heard their many prayers. He chose to answer them favorably at a time of his choosing. Elizabeth speaks of the wondrous things that the Lord has done for her when he looked on her in grace. She says that he has taken away her reproach among the people. God did not just hear and answer the prayers of Zechariah and Elizabeth. It's easy to look at our text through a narrow lens and make the story just about them. But in granting this old couple a son, God was acting on behalf of his people Israel. John was going to be the forerunner of the promised Messiah. He would be a herald preparing the people for the coming of their king. God was acting to bring redemption to his people. No, not to free them from the dominion of the Romans, but to save them from their sins, to restore them in the right relationship with God. God was acting to show forth his mercy and his grace to his people to accomplish a mighty salvation work something far greater than they could ever have imagined. Beloved, please consider once more the names of the people mentioned in our text. Zechariah means the Lord has remembered. Elizabeth means God is an oath. The Lord had not forgotten his people He remembered his promises made to Adam and Abraham and David. The Lord is faithful to his covenant. He was working to prepare the way for the coming Messiah. We see this in the proclamation of the birth of John the Baptist. John means the Lord is gracious. Indeed, he is. So gracious that he would send his Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. May we draw much comfort and confidence from the word of the Lord. Beloved, God loves us with a deep and abiding love. He truly hears the pleas and the prayers of his children. He loves to give good gifts to his chosen ones. 
God has not only granted us forgiveness of our sins in Christ, He also renews us by the Spirit. He helps us to walk with Him in our daily lives. He has promised that He will be with us also in the struggles and the burdens we face. It's human for us to experience times of despair and hopelessness. But God will remember us. He is faithful. He is gracious. Let us put our hope and confidence in him. Amen. In response to the gospel message, we're going to sing together the song of Zechariah, hymn 18. We'll do so standing. <laughs> 